With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. G'day and welcome to Friday. I don't have to remind anybody that it's Friday. You're not just knowing it, you're feeling it. And as we get into the weekend, we'll try and keep you immensely entertained uh, here at TNT. Uh, Thank you to Chris Smith. Uh, He'll be having a terrific weekend, I hope, and then back to join you on Monday afternoon or morning, depending on where you happen to be. Uh, Julian Assange. Now, I'm going to be talking a little bit about him uh, a little bit later and something that ties in very, very sternly. I think might be the phrase I'd use, um, a sentence. In fact, I'll, I'll talk about it right now. Um, an ex-CIA engineer, he got 40 years in prison for giving spy agency hacking secrets to uh, WikiLeaks. His name is uh, Mr. Uh, Schult. Uh, now, he apparently leaked a trove of CIA secrets uh, to WikiLeaks back in 2017. He was offered a plea deal, believe it or not, of just 10 years, but that plea deal came with the condition that he not be able to appeal at any time. So he knocked that on the head, uh, subsequently probably regretting that after receiving four decades in jail. They're also suggesting that he was able to continue or at least try to do that while he was in jail. And then they said that they found some some child porn on his computer while he was in jail and while he was trying to release, release more uh, secrets for WikiLeaks. I mean, it doesn't really read that true, does it? I mean, how convenient of them to go and find that in an effort to possibly discredit this guy. He may indeed have been guilty of that. We don't know. It just seems very convenient to me. And how the hell if you're in jail? And yes, I get that he's a hacker. He's probably smarter than the people who do the IT for the prison. But one might imagine the prison would be locked down pretty darn harshly. And some would argue, do people in prison need the internet? Or is that a something that they should be denied? And that's something that, of course, you can let us know in your comments. And good morning to all of you in the online chat. Boreda, I'm guessing that's Welsh. But good morning. I'm going to have a guess that that is the case. And if I'm wrong, please let me know. Um, now, I'm, I just can't believe the scale of that sentence, 40 years, because don't forget in February, uh, and we'll be covering it here at TNT, we're going to uh, be covering what's happening in England live at the Julian Assange trial. Now, the problem with that is if he is to be extradited to the US and after seeing this sentence that this fellow has got of 40 years, it's just absolutely horrific what he could be facing. It really is horrific. Here we are suggesting that, you know, he should get a slap on the wrist. And I would agree that is the case. I think he's more than served an adequate sentence in self-detention. And to just the the concept that he could possibly be subjected to something. And they want to make a, a bigger uh, deal of this than one might imagine. And even though this guy got 40 years and they suggested that it was one of the most massive leaks and the most damaging leak in, leak in US history, The simple thing comes down to Julian Assange is a much bigger name and they need to embarrass him. They need to set a precedent and uh, so that nobody ever does this again. And I really do hope that he is not extradited to America because it won't be fair for those of you hoping that Donald Trump, should Donald Trump get reelected, and that does look pretty good if you look at the numbers, uh, is going to do something about it. Well, he had a chance already and he did nothing. So I wouldn't be holding your breath when it comes to that. And uh, 
Yeah, but certainly your thoughts in the online chat would be greatly appreciated. And I'll tell you uh, a little bit before we get to the break how you can, uh, how we're going to be covering that here at TNT live in the courts and uh, how you can tune in and the dates. So we'll be doing all that. Uh, coming up this hour, I'm going to be talking to Dr. Peter Ridd about what's going on with the Great Barrier Reef. Yes, the UN have got their hands all over it. They want us to spend a billion dollars or more to keep the reef safe. It seems rather resilient. To me, it keeps making these huge comebacks so that their top scientists, and I bet they, uh, their peers don't agree that their top scientists for the UN keep telling us that we need to take care of this problem. Otherwise, they're going to put it on some sort of list that then makes it a global problem. If it is a global problem, United Nations, then we should only have to pay 0.33% of the bill to keep the reef safe because that is our percentage of the population in the world here in Australia. Maybe you could... Uh, pay for that, United Nations. Maybe you could suggest big polluters like India and China do that. Funnily enough, and you can't make this stuff up, here's India, probably the well, one of the top polluters in the world, and they're going to be discussing all of this and the target date in India, of all places. And I'm sure they're not you know, uh, contributing their fair percentage. I mean, what are they? Well over 1 billion people. So I would suggest that as a percentage of the world population, maybe they should uh, fork what would it, about 20% of the bill. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be terrific. Maybe 18, 70% of the bill. That would be nice, India, if you'd like to do that to help our poor old coral reef, which apparently isn't doing as well as the UN would hope. And certainly as uh, the government would have you believe so they can justify this massive wealth transfer, and that's what it is, to try and protect something that doesn't need protecting, that is highly resilient. But of course, uh, we'll be talking to Dr. Peter Ridd about that uh, very, very soon, and uh, he'll give you his perspective on it. And I dare say it'll be a fair more, a uh, bit more accurate than anything you're going to hear from the United Nations top scientists that you can bet on. Of course, it's Friday. That means Omar Khan will be joining us as well, and we look forward to that. Now, I'll just tell you this last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20 and 21 in the UK High Court to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited to the United States. Now, TNT will be at the Royal Court of Justice. We're going to be broadcasting and covering the entire two days. Uh, if we ha if if that's required, it may not run that long, but if it does, we'll be there for both days. Uh, TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London, uh, lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk, TNT. Be a part of the conversation. I want representation I can trust. Have your say. Biden isn't doing enough. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, well you can, mate. We're, we're live right right now. So uh, if you want to go ahead with that, go for it. Well, I was just going to say uh, big protests are planned outside the Old Bailey, the High Court, when the Assange hearing comes up. It's not as if the... British public are going to sort of sit idly by. So, uh, you know, the support for him has really been galvanised over the last couple of years from being a fringe issue to one that now has the support of parliamentarians, uh, journalists, unions, all sorts of non-governmental organisations and, of course, the wider public. So, uh, you know, if natural justice is served, Julian will be freed. I mean, Put it this way, the strength of feeling in the UK is such that any attempt to physically remove him from the country will be met with physical resistance. I mean, they will probably try and spirit him out of the country in the middle of the night. If he was to lose the, the appeal, he wouldn't go straight to the airport. He'd go back to Belmarsh 
um, and they would then probably try and get him out of there at three o'clock in the morning because uh, it's likely there would be a constant protest outside the prison of people, you know, willing to lie down in the road and, you know, form human chains and do whatever was necessary to stop the vehicle convoy reaching the airport, which would no doubt be a military airport, most likely RAF Bryce Norton, somewhere like that. Mate, um, and just I'll just quickly introduce you because we we came on halfway through a sentence. <laughs> Basil Valentine is joining us today, not Gemma Cooper. She's having a day off doing a course, and of course she'll be back on Monday. Thanks for joining us today, Basil. Uh, mate, now in light of the sentence that was received, the four-decade-long sentence for Joshua Schult uh, over in America, should that um, failing a successful appeal for Julian Assange, is that something that Julian Assange should be extremely worried about? Well, I mean, they want to lock him up and throw away the key forever. I mean, it was only a few years ago they were plotting to assassinate him. Um, th there was talk a few months ago, if you remember, it involved the Australian foreign minister, I believe, of some sort of plea bargain deal, which might have seen Julian released uh, on account of time already served both in Belmarsh and as a captive in the Ecuadorian embassy for years before that, if people remember. And amongst the conditions that were possibly going to be placed on him were that he would not be allowed to use the internet, which seemed bizarre. But um, all talk of that has gone away. Of course, you know, it's extremely unpopular. But then again, a lot of the things the United States does are extremely unpopular and they don't seem to care, do they, Dean? They certainly don't, in light of what was allegedly, and I will say allegedly, found on this other character's uh, computer. I think they may have done Julian a favour, because if you weren't on the internet, it's very hard to uh, plant some some evidence. I'm not suggesting that was the case. I'm just suggesting that if you're not on the internet, it is very difficult, in general, to plant evidence. Uh, mate, you got to, you'd have some, some news for us today. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, all sorts of things going on in Europe. One story I want to pick up on, is the farmers' protests. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. These have reached almost revolutionary heights in France with thousands of farmers blockading roads into Paris and around central Paris. Um, and France is just one country. Portuguese farmers have now joined in, as have Romanian, Bulgarian farmers, uh, some British farmers as well, basically objecting to the new environmental regulations being imposed by the European Union, the demand for a net zero uh, resulting in the collapse of the use of nitrogen-based fertilizers, uh, and also soaring costs and taxes. And of course, the uh, farmers have what is without doubt the single most effective slogan in the history of political demonstrations, Dean. Which is? Uh, no farmers no food <laughs> so true so true and of course mate, they they can control the whole thing i'm i can't believe the eu is still going i can't believe it's a thing uh the british you know the brexit uh terrific work and i would suggest that should catch on i'd love to see the eu completely dismantled uh and uh the farmers uh one group that you absolutely can't do without and uh very hard to remove that heavy equipment uh when it's parked on roads in mass as well Yes, hilariously, I saw a clip on the X platform uh, of uh, a police car, a 4x4, it looked like, certainly some sort of SUV, 
which had apparently chased some farmers into a field. I'm not sure where this was. And the police then got stuck in the field and the farmers they were chasing had to pull them out. <laughs> so if anything was uh, illustrative of just how important farmers are to the rest of it, that was it in a, in a nutshell. Uh, Viktor Orban, the Hungarian prime minister, far from perfect, uh, he caved in yesterday to the 50 billion euro demand that the EU was making of its member states to donate to Ukraine, quite what for, we're not sure, whether it's to prolong that unnecessary meat grinder war. Um, but uh, Orban was objecting. Now he's caved in, but he did take time outside the summit in Brussels to talk to some of the farmers protesting there and pointedly talked about Brussels bureaucrats not being in touch with the people they claim to represent. Well, that certainly is the case. I can't believe that uh, he caved. I thought he would have been the last one to have caved. And of course, all they're really doing is sending young uh, Ukrainian men, you know, to their death, you know, for the most part. And uh, I would suggest that they must be almost out of them. You know, they're conscripting them uh, involuntary uh, off the street, fathers and sons walking down the street. And of course, they're denying health care to uh, Ukrainian men of fighting age who refuse to sign up. So uh, it's a pretty sad state of affairs over in the Ukraine for their uh, plight. There was talk of uh, a peace deal a few weeks ago, wasn't there, Dean? Uh, that's all gone quiet again. Uh, we've had a sort of another round of the bellicose rhetoric, uh, the nonsense being talked in some quarters about how if Putin is not stopped in Ukraine, he's going to invade the rest of us. So crazed has it become, in fact, that uh, the chief of the general staff in the UK, Sir Peter Sanders, started suggesting that conscription might be needed in the UK because the army is too small and we might have to fight a war with Russia within the next 20 years. I mean, what kind of madness is this? It really is madness. And I'll tell you what, for the first time in history, they're going to have a very difficult time getting people to fight a war, uh, one that most people think we shouldn't be involved in at all. And about 50% of the population seem to think where you know, our governments are on the wrong side of. Uh, when it comes to protests, something I've been immensely enjoying watching on social media is these people getting uh, dressed up as uh, inflatable dinosaurs and standing in front of the ULES cameras. I've been getting a real kick out of watching those particular videos. Oh yeah, they're, uh, they're they're quite a crowd. Those are um, <laughs> they're still going. But I just want to uh, bring up one other little point about the whole war machine, Dean. Uh, I've only just realised that there's a NATO account on X with over a million followers. Not the kind of thing I usually follow, but uh, uh, somebody I do follow posted a link to Jen Stoltenberg, who's been in the United States visiting the Lockheed Martin facility, Jen, Jen Stoltenberg, the current Secretary General of NATO, uh, where he emphasised NATO's crucial role in creating a vast market for defence sales and productions. He noted that over the last two years alone, allies have agreed to buy $120 billion worth of weapons from US defence companies. How are we ever going to have a peaceful world of coexistence, Dean, when we have the military industrial complex and the armies that are supposed to be defending us so closely intertwined that, you know, war, as Smedley Butler famously said, 
is a racket. Yep, until people wake up to the fact that we've got a duopoly here in Australia and the UK and most of the Western nations and that we are voting for a bunch of, you know, global puppets who are all on board with the big money, um, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to get any better. And I can't believe we're still doing that uh, at this point. Uh, Basil Valentine, thank you so much for joining us today and for filling in for Gemma Cooper. We appreciate it. Thank you, Dean. See you again one day. Thank you, everybody. Coming up after the break, we're going to be talking to Dr. Peter Ridd, I should say, about the health of our reef up in Queensland. And uh, I dare say it's in far better health than the UN would have you know. We'll be back right after this. TNT's Pella Neuroth-Taylor. We, we need to look, do a lot of deconstruction of these phrases and, and really think about what it means, because what does far right mean? I, I'd say that far right means anything that you don't like. And... Um, it's just a label, a bit like the, the Chinese under Mao, their state press used to call uh, anyone who was an ideological opponent, capitalist pig dogs, whatever. And it was just meant to evoke a response. And it was a signal from the rulers to the rule that this is what you should think without actually having to think. It's, it's, it's a, meant to evoke a sort of Pavlovian reaction that you're a, these are bad guys. And uh, a moderate, in, in, in our, lingo i mean let's see it's foreign coverage the bbc will say the moderate blah 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 party in the third world meaning well the guys we approve of and then the extremist is someone we don't approve of helen neuroth taylor on today's news talk tnt when i had my heart event close to four years ago i was at the gym thought i deserve a coffee and thought i'll top up with fuel ordered a coffee but while i was pumping fuel i started to get chest pains then it got worse and worse and worse. So then I was leaning on the counter thinking, yeah, something's not quite right. So then I went to wait for the coffee and that's when it really, really hit. And Joy just, you know, mouthed, do you need an ambulance? And I remember nodding. I wasn't even thinking about a heart attack. I just thought something is seriously wrong with me here. So when the cardiologist came to see me, she informed me that I'd had what they call a widowmaker heart attack. Bit of a shock when someone says, you know, you nearly died. <laughs> Everybody should be aware of all the symptoms of a heart attack that women can have that aren't typical of the shoulder pain, the right arm pain. I go to the gym, I do yoga, Pilates, I swim, I go on bike rides, and yet I still had a heart attack. You just don't know it could be you. Are we on the air? Am I on the air? You're on the air. On the air 24-7, your news talk giant, TNT. And welcome back. Christmas may be gone for another year or certainly not back for a while. But, you know, if you want a list, a naughty or a nice list, you can go to the UN because they've got lists just like that. And if you're a very, very bad country and you don't look after your reef, well, they could put your reef on a list of endangered heritage sites. But of course, if you spend just enough money to kind of push that back a little bit each year, you might be in their good books. Wouldn't that be terrific? Santa, uh, you know, in the UN, isn't it? Absolutely wonderful. Well, we're not going to fall for that here at TNT, and that is why my next guest, Dr. Peter Reddy, is going to tell us all about what they're up to, how much money we're spending, and uh, how we'll probably keep off this list. And the funny thing is, the decision for the meeting, Peter, it's going to be based in India, of all places. So here we are, Australia, 03 3% of the world population, but let's go and discuss what we're doing over in India that I would suggest is one of the world's biggest polluters. Uh, exactly. One of the things that, that uh, of course, the government has just committed a whole lot of, set of things to stop the United Nations declaring the, the reef as endangered. Uh, one of those, of course, is net zero. And yet 
India and China and all the rest of them haven't committed to net zero at all. So we're going to save the reef somehow by stopping this tiny fraction of the emissions. But it's not the only thing that that we've committed to do, in fact, uh, to stop this endangered blackmail that goes on more or less every year or so. Now, across the board, and there would be billions that we're spending to try and keep this temperature rise, you know, below this 1.5 degrees Celsius that they keep talking about. And again, I'll, I'll have to say it because it just does my head in, the fact that we are such a relatively small population in the world thing. And as you said, the two big, two of the biggest countries in the world, India and China, they're not going to play nice. So how could we possibly, and we certainly can't afford to, uh, do more than, and why should we do more than our fair share, which is 0.33% of the entire equation. Well, it, it doesn't matter what we do. This is the point. It just makes no difference whether we do it or not. And I don't think it'll make any difference anyway. You know, if the Chinese don't stop emitting CO2, it's not going to create a, a climate catastrophe. The reefs are not going to die. In fact, the reefs, if the water gets a bit warmer, if we're that lucky, the reefs will grow even better because reefs grow better in warmer water. This has been known for a century, that you know, the best coral reefs are in the warmest water. When you do experiments with coral and you gently increase the temperature, they will grow faster. That's, you know, I'm down in Melbourne at the moment freezing because I'm from North Queensland, you know, and there's there's corals uh, off Victoria, but they so they grow so pathetically slowly that they can't grow, they can't form reefs because you need them to grow really, really fast and then the coral dies and because it's made out of calcium carbonate, which is like concrete, they form their own reefs. Well, that can't happen in cold water. Uh, if there is a warming, we'll have better reefs. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, they've said uh, the Great Barrier Reef has suffered six mass bleaching event since 1998. Now, I mean, scientists are allegedly, their scientists are concerned. Now, a lot of that is to do with wave damage and flood plumes. What could us spending any amount of money possibly do to uh, fix that? Well, there's a, there's a few things there. Firstly, the last four uh, bleaching events have happened uh, since 2016. And in fact, the amount of coral on the reef has almost doubled in that time, <laughs> right? So we've had four catastrophic bleaching events and somehow the amount of coral has, has, has doubled. And the coral that has come back in that time is the type of coral that is supposedly the most susceptible to bleaching. Now, the previous two bleaching events, well, there was almost no loss of coral in, in those events either. And remember that coral has a remarkable ability to, to come back. But you mentioned waves and sediment from uh, coming down rivers. Look, that the waves, the, the biggest killer of coral is, is cyclo cyclonic waves. But cyclones aren't getting any worse. That you know, this is well known. The worst cyclone on the Queensland coast, the most intense, was in 1899. Okay, so we haven't had anything as bad as that since. Uh, and supposedly all this sediment coming down rivers. Well, we, you know, I, I with my group invented the instrumentation for measuring sediment for long periods of time uh, out in the ocean, right? and we had more measurements than anybody else. And we proved without any doubt that firstly, the sediment doesn't get out to the reef, which is largely a long way away, but even close to shore, uh, it, it's a trivial effect, the amount of sediment come out of the rivers. Periodically, they'll be to take a photograph of a, a river plume coming out and it might just touch one of the reefs, one of the 3000 reefs for a few days with a tiny amount of sediment. They'll take lots of photographs, but you know, the other th almost 3000 reefs have no, have had nothing, and even those threes for the next ten years, they may see nothing. So it's proven now that what's coming out of farms is having no effect. But of course, one of the promises to UNESCO is that we're going to hammer the farmers 
even more to try to restrict them not only with the sediment but with fertilizers and pesticides now it, i'm just going to read from this article coral reefs are one of the most susceptible ecosystems to global heating. Now, I've spoken to you a couple of times and uh, my common sense is uh, is pretty pretty good. And it would seem it's probably one of the most resilient things that, that I can imagine. Well, they're incredibly resilient. We, I mean, you can see uh, a reef that gets wiped out by a cyclone. I've got some you know data from One Tree Island, and this happens on more or less all reefs. It can go from about you know less than 5% of the seabed covered in coral to over 80% of the seabed covered in coral in just 10 years. Wow. So it gets wiped out and it comes back. So, of course, they'll always show the pictures when it gets wiped out and they never <laughs> they never mention. So at the moment, this report by our government to the United Nations, for some reason, it doesn't mention that we've got record amounts of coral on the reef at the moment. We've got record amounts of coral on the reef. You would have thought they'd want to tell the United Nations that little fact, but they don't want to tell them that because although they want it, the reef not to be classified as endangered, they want the, the United Nations, uh, the United Nations, to come back next year and the year after, always threatening us, always blackmailing us, so that they can do more to the farmers. I mean, what the, one of the things they've done is they've thrown the fishermen to the sharks this time. Uh, for example, one of the things we promised to do is close down the barramundi industry in North Queensland, and that's gone, right? It's now yeah. gone. We promised the United Nations we will do that to save the reef. And remembering the barramundi fish, they don't live out on the reef. The reef is out. I, I was going to ask you that, yeah. The, the, these are these are riverine, um, almost entirely riverine species. But it's even worse than that. They've even promised to close down fisheries in the Gulf of Carpentaria, in the southern Gulf of Carpentaria. So you have to go north 700 kilometres before you even get to the, the Torres Straits and then east of Fairway before you get to the Great Barrier Reef. How on earth is closing a fishery hundreds and hundreds of kilometres in the wrong ocean, more or less, on the wrong side of Cape York Peninsula going to save the Great Barrier Reef? It's got nothing to do with uh, real science, it's just, oh, we want to we want to do all these things. We, we're closing down fisheries all around Australia at the moment. It's not, not just in Queensland, it's in Victoria, it's in Western Australia. Uh, it's all part of the policy to slowly strangle primary industry, the fisheries, the forestry, which has almost been wiped out in Western Australia, Victoria, you name it. This is what's happening at the moment. Well, they're doing it, and it looks like they're just getting started because the uh, thing is called the Cornerstone Reef 2050 plan. So, you know, they've got quite a few more years uh, of this plan, and it's costing us billions. It'll cost us a hell of a lot more um, when you go and follow through what it's doing to industries, lost income, wages, uh, the fact that we can't get terrific fish, such as my favourite, barramundi, when I want to go and eat, and all, it's a crock, it's a total crock. And a bunch of stuff to talk to, including when we talk about records, uh, mate, they're going to have some record spending. We'll talk about that on the other side of this news break. I am with Dr. Peter Ridd here at TNT, back after the news headlines. TNT Radio News. This is news. Here we go. Matt Boyland here with your TNT headlines. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has fronted the media for the first time since his secret hospitalization. I apologize to my teammates and to the American people. More mass graves containing victims of genocide have been unearthed in Africa, and it's been revealed the U.S. has built up a supply of military equipment in Australia as it prepares for a potential war with China over Taiwan. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
And we're back with Dr. Peter Ridd. We're talking about, you know, the United Nations, how they want to send us broke. We are this tiny little percentile of the world population. And here we are, you know, like Hercules trying to lift far above, uh, well, punching well above our weight and certainly spending far more money than we have. In fact, we are not spending, we are borrowing money. So uh, we'll be paying interest on that. Our grandkids will be paying interest on that. And we're not going to have it. And we're going to uh, put this out of its misery as best we can. And the only way we can do that is by talking to actual experts. And uh, we we're just talking quickly uh, off air, Dr. Peter Ridd and I, uh, you know, speaking of those poor barramundi farmers, then sure, you can get some from overseas and you can get some from some farms, but you're not going to get the natural thing. And those people, their families now no longer able to support their families. So, you know, it just goes on and on. It snowballs. It's an economic problem, but they don't care because the whole goal of climate change is to send us broke, is to get us into debt and to uh, pull on the heartstrings. As long as they can sell it as something that's positive, even though we know it's all BS, then that's what they do. And they're just going to continue to do it. Um, now, Dr. Peter Reid, uh, mate, I'm just going to quote again, UNESCO's World Heritage Centre in Paris. Uh, on Thursday, the federal government said it, it's going to commit to successively more ambitious emission reduction targets. That means the bill's going to go up each and every year. Exactly. So this was part of the this is part of the blackmail, right? That uh, we've got to keep promising more and more coal mines to be uh, coal power stations to be shut. Uh, you name it. This is what we are supposedly got to do, and it just doesn't make any sense, as you keep on pointing out, because we are such an irrelevant percentage of the global emissions that you know it just doesn't make any difference. If China and India and South America and all the rest of them aren't going to do anything, it makes no difference what we will do. So, so why aren't we saying that? Why aren't we heading along? I mean, I, I kind of know the answer. The fact is all of our politicians are on board with this scam. Yeah. Uh, if we had some fair income politicians, we'd be saying, well, as long as China and India and, uh, you know, other large countries such as Brazil, as you said, uh, as if, if they're not going to get involved, why should we pay? And we're not going to until they start. You go talk to them, then come back to us. So it goes to prove, I mean, and surely our politicians cannot possibly look at some of their credentials. They can't possibly be that stupid that they're just ignorant. It must be some sort of orchestrated thing. Uh, no, I think they are that stupid that <laughs> um, that they they really don't live in the real world. This is part of the problem that too many of the people in the cities don't live in the real world. They, you know, if you're living out on a farm somewhere, you're a fisherman, or you you know you run a business, you live in the real world, but. But too many of these people don't. They they feel things rather than, you know, with their emotions rather than using hard facts. So, yeah, I think you're right. There are certain uh, a small number who really it's all about putting control over people. It, there is a genuine authoritarian streak that's running through that. Um, but a lot of them, they're just off with the fairies. It's just yeah. the only way to describe it. I'll, I'll clarify what I said, by the way. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Some of them just are completely that stupid. They're also sycophants. They're also people that will do anything for pre-selection and to maintain their $4,000 a week, uh, just completely useless people. I mean, I used to work with with one of them in radio, who's now a, a, a politician. I won't say which party. I might give it away, uh, but I don't think it's that hard to guess. Um, and again, these people, I didn't think this person was that bright when I worked with them. But of course, you'll most of them are like that. They just get in there as long as you do the right thing, as long as you never cross the floor and vote for the party. And if you do, of course, uh, such as um, uh, a couple of our, our senators are probably not going to be liberal senators, uh, in increasingly not being offered pre-selection and being squeezed out or just flat out being kicked out. It, it's certainly a worry. That, but on the other hand, there are some good um, politicians, you know, across the ball. Well, 
maybe not in all parties, but in some of the parties at least, you know, you've got people who are talking the right stuff, like Matt Canavan, like Senator Roberts, and, you know, a, a lot of these other guys, they are tremendously good. And I'm, I, I'm actually quite hopeful. I think if you look, look what's happening in Europe, um, sorry, I just touched the table then. If you look at what's in Europe rather than uh, in, in Australia, a lot of politicians are actually seeing what's happening. Um, you know, the, there's been a huge energy shock there with the, the Ukrainian war. Uh, the German energy uh, and petrochemicals, sorry, the chemical industry is, is on its knees at the moment. They are seeing where this ultimately heads. We've been insulated from it, ironically, because we export lots and lots of coal and gas and also iron ore, so we're not seeing the effect of it. But in Europe, they're seeing the effect of it, and there's a, a, a slowly building revolution that's occurring. A lot of the apologies haven't quite got this yet, but it's happening. And I think that we're going to find in the next few couple of years there'll be major changes in Europe and maybe a bit of sanity is going to start coming back. Well, especially, you know, when you hear about things like austerity measures in one of the most industrious nations in the planet, Germany, uh, yeah. and the fact that, you know, they're doing it tough. I mean, there's going to be a pushback like the government couldn't possibly believe. But the problem is, by that point, will they already be broke? Has that massive wealth transfer, which I suggest this whole thing is about. Uh, if And if it's not that, or if it is, it's um, that and a distraction away from other things that I think we should probably be far more concerned about. But I mean, there's not much more you can be concerned about uh, than massive wealth transfer and how our kids and our grandkids are going to cope in a country that has no money left. Exactly. That's the problem. Now, I, you know, I think that we don't want to be too pessimistic, but on the other hand, this is serious stuff. Um, you know, I think the Germans will sort it out, but they have exported a huge amount of their industry to China. Uh, we have also exported, I mean, what's going to happen when we close down the power station in Gladstone, the aluminium refinery will close down What's going to happen? They'll just have a coal power station in China with an aluminium refinery, uh, and you know, and that's what we're doing. Now, it doesn't make sense. Um, we're not to the point that we're a total basket case yet, but we're getting precipitately close to it. Now, let's have a look at this as well. Again, I suggested, and you would know, we're punching well above our weight. You know, for the size of our population. Now, the Independent Climate Change Authority. Now, they're going to submit an advice letter later this year to Chris Bowen, of Blackout Bowen, uh, on what Australia's emission targets should be, not what they are. And, of course, Australia has already set a net zero target by 2050 of 43%. But, of course, this group would like it to be much higher, up around 70 or 80% yeah. by that particular date. I mean, it's just absolutely, it's just, it's you can't do it, can you? It's not possible. And they're not independent. This is the trouble. They're not an independent. They're but they're a bunch of uh, extreme radicals dressing themselves up as some sort of authority. Um, but yes, there's a, a huge number of people, and I have to say, led by scientists. And I've got to say, scientists have now become one of the least trustworthy professions that there is. I, I can't think of a more untrustworthy group than scientists now. Um, a lot of those people in that climate, whatever they're called. Um, will be scientists, and they're pushing for basically economic suicide to send us back to the Stone Age, uh, while the Chinese and the Indians, to their credit, are too smart to do what we're doing. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think they'd ever get China at all. Um, India, I wasn't so sure about. They do have a lot of corruption over there. But China, no way in the world were they, were they ever going to get them. And, of course, you know, they're setting the example. I think their their politics is far less infiltrated than ours. I think ours is completely infiltrated now in most of the Western nations. But China, they're not even going to get close. I mean, part of this article started with, however, research from two leading scientists. And I, I've immediately written leading. I mean, I mean, which of their peers, how many of their peers would consider any of these cash for comment? scientists to be leading ones? Well, probably most of them, because remember, the whole scientific institution has institutions are now full of, of the same sort of people. They've excluded that the, the, the people who've dissented have been chucked out like myself. But yep. there's been a lot of the others that and they only replace themselves with similar, similar, similar people. So you're not going to get a, a, you know, a 25 year old Peter Ridd looking type of person who's got a, a half a brain is going to challenge this stuff. You're going to get a sycophant and somebody who's going to go along with the group thing. So that's what's happened. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why the scientific institutions are so, especially in these environmental things, are just utterly, utterly corrupted. They're not doing science anymore. They're doing quasi politics and ideology. They certainly are. Dr. Peter Ridd, mate, thank you for always, you know, setting the, the record straight for us. And everything you say just rings true. It's like the missing piece of the puzzle uh, that we all knew. But until we get someone with some qualifications to verify that what that which we feel, uh, mate, we can't say that we're right. But after talking to you, I always feel that my original opinion is always right on this. And thank you for doing what you do. And thank you for keeping real science back in the equation when it is very hard to find these days. It's my pleasure. Thanks very much. Dr. Peter Reed, everybody. Coming up after the break, we know it's Friday because it's time for Omar Khan. We'll be back right after this. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Last week when Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked about the position of Joe Biden when it comes to late-term abortions, she had the phony rhetoric ready to go. What I will say is majority of Americans, majority of Americans, wants to see their rights protected, wants to see women have their rights protected, wants to be able to, wants, want women to be able to make those deeply, deeply personal decisions on their bodies, on their own, not politicians. That's what majority of Americans want to see. And so the president's going to stand with majority of Americans on this issue. Those unborn babies have any rights then? I'm not going to get into that specific. I'm not going to get into that question. Rights for unborn babies? What are you, mad? <laughs> but let's take a look at how Americans really feel about the issue of abortion. This is from Gallup, May of last year. Only 34% of Americans believe abortion should be legal under all circumstances. 34%. A majority, 64%, say limited circumstances or not at all. And in the same poll, only 22% of Americans believe third trimester abortion should be legal at all. It just shows that Corinne Jean-Pierre and her leftist buddies are a bunch of liars. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. Our beautiful world is changing, withering, dying by the hands of those who don't value nature, even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands, heal our waters, and save our wildlife with big solutions only nature can provide. But every day we lose more of the places we love, and we urgently need to save endangered lands, waters, and wild species. The actions we take today will determine the tomorrow we leave to our children and grandchildren. 
the water they drink, the air they breathe, the beauty they experience. To learn more about how you can help protect and conserve our beautiful world, visit nature.org today. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Yes, the hills are alive in Davos and just the madness that goes on there, the WEF and them plotting how they're going to spend your grandchildren's cash or borrow money now so they can pay the interest on it a bit later when we are all banana republics. And thank goodness we have people like global consultant Omar Khan here every Friday to keep those bastards real, and he really does. Omar Khan, how are you going? Good, good. How about you? Always good, my friend. Always good. Mate, they're up to their old tricks. Of course, they get together every year to, uh, to. Uh, isn't it funny that we can't get, and like whenever they get together, all these big groups, it's always kind of in secret. You know, they'll have their public version for us, but the real deals all get done out the back, don't they? Yeah, well, they, they didn't do so well this year because we had people coming and taking a live mic and telling them to screw themselves, which the person did repeatedly and with gusto. Uh, to which all they could do was get up and walk out of the room. Wait, 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 was what, there someone that it, actually did that? I did see a video that was that yeah, guy yeah, yeah. who, but that that was fake. The, the, the guy, and then the next day he's got the yeah, black yeah. eye. Yeah, no, that, that's he does that all the time. He's one of those Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah no, it bloggers. was superimposed, but it was shown so often that it was just about the equivalent, and they got up and walked out. <laughs> it may, it uh, may as well have been clip. real, yeah, yeah, I agree, um, yeah. So, I mean, it was as close as you could come doing it without doing it but the argentinian president did it for real without using those words uh i mean he let them have it he lacerated what the you know what the west is up to can you give us the gist give us the gist of of what he said to them well he he said to them that socialism is failing that regulations are choking the world that people want liberty they want a chance to have autonomy that in Argentina, he's going and confronting all of the, the unionist tendencies and things of that ilk. And he said that people don't trust you or trust us anymore. And with good reason. And, and so um, And, you know, of course, he's considered a bit of a lark. But if you just look at it for a moment, unromantically decoupled from what any one person said, you know, the Davos agenda publicly, as you said, maybe the back room and the front room, but publicly it's global security order, an integrated world economy, decarbonization, gender equality, abolition of dire poverty. Well, how is any of that going? Um, You know, I mean, some of it is, of course, just pseudoscience writ large on the climate front, but you can hardly say that dire poverty has been abolished. Uh, we can hardly say the gender equality in a meaningful sense, not the crass, stupid, uh, let me change your organs and make you pretend you're somebody else. Um, I mean, but real gender equality um, that people pined for and campaigned for, where a person could be taken on their own merits. I mean, that's as distant a dream as possible. Now you have Russia gaining ground in the Ukraine, the Middle East erupting, the Red Sea shut down, straight to Hormuz are next, uh, China and the West estranged, the Taiwanese elections. So it's not exactly as if Davos could sit there and say, ha, 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 job well done. The, uh, <laughs> the next up is we have some insects. 
uh, to give her out. <laughs> no, they're in deep dudgeon. I mean, it's not working. And they're saying they're, the crisis of confidence is a crisis of incompetence, actually. People have realized that these people couldn't, in the words of my British friends, organize a piss-up in a brewery, much <laughs> less run the planet. So, so true. Mate, and of course, the WHO, you know, they haven't let up, have they? You know, I've read in your article, you know, the WHO spasms, mate, and they really are uh, getting a bit distraught because, mate, their plan to all these diseases that may or may not ever exist, and they're going to use them to try and get their way with us. But, I mean, you know, you just look at it, right? I mean, Dean, here you have a situation. The military-industrial complex means you have to have war after war after war, right? Just segue from one to the other because it's, an, it's economics. It's not morality. You have the pharmaceutical industrial complex, which are, oops, our fake vaccines caused cancer, so our next drugs better be anti-cancer drugs <laughs> or anti-blood clotting drugs. There's no problem. Uh, we'll pay the fine and we'll go and do that. Um, so you know, the one thing begets the other. In the case of what WHO is trying to do, imagine a body whose only purpose is to locate potential outbreaks from novel, so-called novel viruses or pathogens. Well, nature is always producing viruses and pathogens, and we shrug them off. It's what we've done for more than millennia. But here's an agency whose only job will be to hypochondriacally panic, extrapolate shades of Imperial College and say, this could, this could, metastasize, this could expand, and they'll have people surveilling the planet looking for every crackpot Looney Tune possibility. Yeah. Just, I mean, so this is, that's the only reason to exist. If you tell people that's the only reason to exist, how much you want to bet they'll find something? Absolutely, they'll find it. <laughs> if you look hard enough, it's a bit like the PCR test. Keep looking long enough, you'll find that which you were looking for or yeah, hoping I mean, to find. Yeah, it hard, uh, high enough and water will test positive. Sure. You know, and, and so I think uh, the, the World Harm Organization is, I, I think they should be now called, the World Harm Organization is pulling their remaining hair out, wondering why nobody trusts them. And I think, really? You got everything wrong during the pandemic thing. The masks were bullshit. The lockdowns destroyed jobs. The vaccines don't work. The bloody pathogen wasn't killing anyone. Tell me one thing you got right. Yeah, well, let's wind it back a bit. I mean, here was Israel with supposedly the highest vaccination rate in the world. Yeah. Um, I, I call it saline central over there. I could be wrong. Here in Australia, which was definitely up there, now they're calling us the anti-vax capital of the world because 95% of the population that they told us were getting their shots, and that was a lie too, now we know that 95% of the people in this country are refusing to get any boosters. So we've woken up. So... The Australian population, who were duped more than most, have woken up, just like the rest of the world, to places like the WHO. So, But still, regardless of us, the populace, uh, knowing this, these puppet politicians, they're still going to push ahead and sign us up to these treaties, aren't they? Well, I think they're going to try. There have been so many amendments foisted on the WHO treaty that they're not sure they can get through it in time. And the legal eagles who have been looking at it say that the problem is this. 
it will not it may be binding but will not be enforceable okay enforcement and but that's not good it's partial good news but not really good news because the enforcement will be still with the countries and we've just seen how craven spineless um and um you know accommodating national governments have been to whatever narrative can pay their retirement check um and so but that means that we at least don't have to influence the who we have to influence our national governments and make better electoral choices that treaty will be no more enforceable than the international court of justice is enforceable so i mean it will have some relevance there will be somebody giving an opinion but they will not be able to walk in the who and take away sovereignty from a national government but they assume but by being a signatory the national government says i will abide master yeah. by your proclamations well if there's enough of the electorate saying hell no they won't yeah well i'll tell you what after the last four years i would suggest if they did have this pandemic treaty and if it were to the extent where they could come knocking on your door and force you to get a vaccine people would react very much the way that they would if they said i'm going to hold a gun to your head and i'm going to pull the trigger i think people would literally act on a similar level should that ever get to that so yeah i think you know the ship has sailed and the only people who don't know it is this clown cartel yeah um uh, you know of walrus whiskered uh, dimwits uh <laughs> who are you know congregating in these places i mean i i had this riff going yesterday about the klaus schwab and all these other um cuckoos and i said you know just think about what they're dreaming of their end game is to be in walled estates where the rest of the planet is in a detention center and they're eating bugs that's what they dream of <laughs> i mean at least at least you know in the bad old days or the good old days when the medici said hey we're going to give this guy michelangelo a chance to have god and humans touch almost in the sistine chapel okay they wanted disproportionate wealth but they wanted everyone to come and admire it they wanted a michelangelo to go and glorify them they at least had the taste to know what his david was like right so you you they provided patronage to chefs to artists I mean when the Carnegies and the Mellons and others they built libraries you know they added to architecture yes they were robber barons yes they were criminals in some sense but at that time the wage differential between CEOs and entry level people was 1 to 7 people could still live and so you went into the Morgan library and admired it because it was and that they donated that after his passing as a public trust so you could understand the end game right of those avaricious uh people who took money because they had a world to enjoy but what world will these people and there will be no world there will be nobody to make music for them so they won't be able to hear it there won't be anybody to do movies for them so they won't be able to see anything there'll be nobody there to cook anything other than bugs which i mean um they won't be able to do so what will this life be they'll be uber 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 wealthy and what relevance does that have in that context and i don't think they've thought it through and now they're just stuck on this stupid greased hole 
Yeah, it's a very interesting scenario. I mean, I don't ever see the lot pushing this on us. I don't ever see them eating the chocolate-coated crickets or or having the 15-minute cities. They'll be jet-setting around the world eating oysters and prawns and all the best things that life has to offer. Yeah, while nobody's the going to be there to shut the oysters for them soon, oh, right? Well, because... Oh, they'll have to keep a few of us to be subservient, won't they? Yeah. They'll definitely need that. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, the farmers are, you know, around, as you know, Europe, who nobody wants to cover, are saying, hell no. I mean, I'm going to, they're burning things in France, lorries and other things, saying F you to the environmental lobby. Um, so you want to see what environmental impact looks like? Let me show you. I'm, I'm loving what's so, happening over in the EU at the moment. Did you think what the Germans started was going to spread the way it has? I don't think anyone could have fantasized that. And maybe that we give a tip of the hat to the Canadians before that. Yeah. You know, for having... St and now, finally, a Canadian court has found the wherewithal to say that what Trudeau did with his Emergency Act was illegal, was incorrect. And, you know, you might say, okay, it's too long. But no, it's not. It's in the historical memory that he committed a criminal act. That Absolutely. he did something that was judicially stuck down. I could don't think lead, it's ever too late. Could that lead to compensation for those who were hard done by? That, I don't know. I mean, I, I it should. I think it could be litigated. I mean, it's now a basis. Somebody could show harm. <clears throat> but I think, you know, in Canada, I don't know if you've seen Tucker Carlson's recent riff in Edmonton. No, I haven't. Where he pointed out that in Canada, the assisted dying, even for people without um, incurable diseases, is on the rise. And it's on the rise, I guess, because people are despairing. They don't have, I mean, they've been sedated, numbed, dumbed, and evacuated of their human sentiments. And, and even though they live in a beautiful country, they don't know it. Well, I, I read the other day that they're now looking at people being able to legally end their own lives if they have severe depression now that they can't do anything about. I mean, that's how, how bad it's gotten. What it's showing, you know, dark depression used to produce great art. It used to produce, and then, yes, people would sometimes commit suicide or sometimes they burn themselves out. But the fact that you should never feel bad that nobody, we know a lot more also about managing the emotions now than we did back then. And hopefully a community is a rescuing agent. This is one of the reasons why we miss community spaces. Uh, there's a wonderful book written about this alienation uh, in the US called Bowling Alone. Because, you know, the, the game of bowling, yeah. 10 pin bowling. But you could never imagine bowling alone. No, I mean, it was something you did with a bunch of people, right? Yeah. Why else would you do this ridiculous thing? I, I mean, there's no reason. This is not like playing chess. This is not like playing the violin. I mean, it's an absurd activity, but it's a lot of fun done with people that you can have a lot of fun with. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, we, we've almost run out of time. I've noticed you seem to have the flu. I've got the flu. I've been resisting the urge to cough. I'm going to go out tonight to a public event, tell everyone I've got the COVID Armageddon strain and spread the love. I, I think that'll be a, a bunch of fun for me tonight. No, I've just been yakking a lot this morning. It's just a throat clearing. I don't even have the excuse you do that uh, there's been some germ invasion. So I can just <laughs> hack and terrify people while feeling pretty good, actually.
Well, I can talk okay. It's just, you make me laugh with some of the stuff you say. It's terrific. And I've been resisting the urge to laugh because that'll set me into a... Oh, go for thing. it. Mate, thank you, <laughs> by the way. Uh, we got to go, Omar Khan. And of course, anyone, you can check out uh, EPL, it's eplglobal.net, I do believe. Yes, uh, and the wanna... blog is uncommonwisdom.online. Everyone get on there. Uncommonwisdom.online. Check him out. That's Omar Khan, everyone. Sonia Fulton coming up next. I hope you have the best weekend ever. And we'll be back on Monday here at TNT.